Hey everybody, Coach here. Hey, how are things going out in your world? For me, I've been working on this and the research to go along with it, and I've been enjoying some of the mountainous areas of the state of Idaho in the U.S. You know something? Um, there is more than one school of thought when it comes to planting and when it comes to soil amending, which is what we're talking about today. Some folks think it is a waste of time. A total waste of time. Just get the plant, put it in the soil where it's going to live, and let it be. Sink or swim type of thing. Others swear by it. And yet others have absolutely no idea what they were doing and just wing it when it comes to planting, gardening, and amending. Well, you can probably guess which camp I tend to sit around the fire in. It is generally the ones by swearing by it. We're going to go into great depth about this. I have a few things to talk about when it comes to soil amending, so let's dive in. As always, I am very glad you're here. Let's get started. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. First of all, let me start off by telling you this will not be an episode in soil chemistry, microbiology, or soil sciences. No, no, no. What this will be is an episode for the greenish thumb people to the brown thumb homeowner that struggles with planting and wasting dollars after dollars and seeing very little or no return on what they do. They freaking throw their gloves up in the air and say, screw this, I am done. It can just do whatever it wants to do. <laughs> Seen a few people like that. Know anybody? You know, in doing some research for this episode, I see that many, many other channels and on the Googs has a lot of formal sciences when it comes to soils and plantings and that kind of stuff available to you if you want to dive really deep down that proverbial soil science rabbit hole. I'm not going to do that to you. I think, number one, it would bore the hell out of you. And number two, it would just drag it way far out. It really was. Okay, so many decades ago, I had to sit through those classes and learn what I needed to continue on with my ornamental horticulture studies and wrap my head around what is best for not only anything I was going to plant for myself, but more importantly, what I was doing for other people. Some of it, hey, some of it was interesting. Yeah, there was just some stuff, it was just mostly it was not, okay? It's just something you had to get through. So let's take a look at the why. Now, I don't mean the letter Y, I mean the word Y. I believe strongly that nothing should be planted in just native soils without amending or changing, you know, amending or changing the soil makeup, basically, at the site of the planting. Why? That's what we're talking about. Think about the soil makeup that your recent purchase is made up of. The little container where your little four inch whatever or your five gallon shrubby shrub. Look at the soils in the wholesale and retail horticultural world. When you buy at the nursery, the soils consist of a professionally created light organic material. Maybe some perlite, peats, and other materials that are mixed in there, some composts, and everything is perfect. Literally, in some cases, steam sterilized, so no pathogens or anything that could damage the plant material that they're going to be growing 
to sell to your nursery, which is going to be sold to you, could ever come about. I have never seen, with the exception of bald and burlap material, native grown soil container stock. Your baby tomatoes, your pretty little four inch perennials or gallon can perennials, annuals in six packs, maybe trees and shrubs, have precise balanced soils created specifically for those specific plants and what their needs really are. That is the professional soil chemists hard at work to create a growing medium that causes retail plants the perfect environment to grow, grow fast, and prepare for the retail world. You know, if you had a four inch anything and you put it in the wrong soils with the wrong pH, the wrong makeup, too thin, too light, too heavy, and they sat there, those are dollars that are sitting there. And for a wholesaler and a retailer, sitting dollars are a dagger to the heart of their business. They need things that are going to germinate quickly under perfect conditions, grow really quick under perfect conditions, then be packaged up and shipped to retail situations where they are at their peak of beauty. And then you and I walk in the retail stores and go, wow, I want these, I need these, I've never seen those, I gotta have those. It's because of the soil chemistry that was behind it to bring that along in such a rapid pace. Now you buy the little pretty at the retail nursery, bring it home and dig a little hole, plant that little pretty in its native soil hole and you find that it just sits there most of the time. It sits and sits and sits with little to no growth or you turn your back on it and don't water it, don't take care of it or anything else because you got life that gets in the way and sometimes it dies. Any of that sound familiar to any of you at any time? At the nurseries where I learned horticulture firsthand, thank you Navalis Nursery and Bert Bertolero, but you learn firsthand why native soils, especially where I was practicing, it was in Fremont, California, and the southern end of Fremont, California, down around the GM plant, the soils was like black clay. It was, it was horrid type of soil to learn about amending in. But everybody who came into the nursery and every time you bought plants, you got a care card. And on that care card, we would always tell you, we strongly urge you to amend your planting areas and use this and try some B1 in there for root stimulus, etc. Now, some people would, and some people, oh, you're just trying to sell me more stuff. I get it. But why did we do this? Why? It's for transitional purposes. It's taking that plant that is so accustomed to being in a perfect soil, and now you're going to put it into an imperfect world of your soil, that you're transitioning it. You're, you're making it the best possible planting hole you can. So we give the plant every opportunity by amending to acclimate and adjust, de-stress, which it literally has to do, and become at home in its new home. Not where it, is, not where it was raised, not where it was germinated and born or cuttings were put and it grew from there, but where it is intended to live out its life now. That's why we amend. Picture this. 
Picture this, here's a little analogy for you. A human baby, okay? A precious new human baby is born. Pretty stressful situation for a little infant, don't you agree? That new little human, it is helpless, fully dependent on medical and or parental care. It requires only certain nourishment at first. Maybe the baby is breastfed, maybe it's bottle fed, it doesn't matter. You're generally starting it off on kind of a liquid diet. Then it is gradually introduced to light solid foods and then eventually everyday foods. <laughs> you would not introduce that brand new infant to a 20 ounce ribeye with a baked potato and all the fixings and a glass of Merlot as its first meal. Okay, results would be disastrous. Don't you agree? Well, you know something? Plants are very similar. You know, raised under those perfect conditions, just like that baby was for nine months, then shipped to a whole new location that it is not used to and displayed on some new shelf that it doesn't know where it's at in who knows what kind of environment and then sold and transported to another new environment, yours, and hopefully planted outside the container into the ground or other container, whatever the end game is for that plant. Now, plants are not people. I'm not suggesting that, but they do go through stress and they do go through shock. And if they don't receive the same care as they did at the wholesalers, then they're gonna feel it, I guarantee you. Pretty stressful, right? You know, when I sold plants, either as a nursery professional or as a contractor, when I was putting it in people's yards, it had been ingrained in me decades ago at the nursery level to amend the native soils for this transitional space, the all important transitional space to reduce plant shock and ease the plants into its new environment and assure success, which is what we're all striving for. This is why I always tried to upsell people, selling them bags of compost or planting mixes, fertilizers, stakes for their trees, in addition to the plant itself. We called them tie-in sales back then, but it also assured folks had success and not failure. Because what happens when people get home? They plant their little new pretty. It dies in 30 days. I'll guarantee you they won't look to themselves and go, oh man, I really screwed that up. I didn't, I didn't listen to coach or anybody else when they told me to use this other stuff. No, 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 no. They don't do that. They turn around and say, hey, you know that guy coach? That nursery that he runs over there? Nothing grows. Everything is garbage. Every plant I've ever bought from them turns around and dies on me. I'm never going back there again. And that person tells 12 people, you know where that's going. Same thing when I was contracting. Had I went out and bought $3,000 worth of plant material for a front and backyard landscape job, it was imperative. There was no nothing more important to me than I was going to do the planting, and I'll cover that in a minute. In countless episodes, both here on the podcast and the YouTube channel, countless episodes, I have touted something over and over and over again. It, it's my mantra. 50% native soil, 50% soil amendment, and a pinch 
of organic fertilizer is the recipe for all the success I've ever had, both professional and personal. It's not just a catchphrase. It is what I do and did for many, many, many years. Tens of thousands of plants that I have sold, that I have planted and raised both professionally and personally, receive this same simple, simple step-by-step. It really is. It, it's, it's not brain surgery. It's just what worked for me. And chances are you can take it and apply it to almost any situation you have. Now, granted, if you're living on top of a rock somewhere and the only time you put a shovel in the ground, it just goes tink. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to amend that soil very much. But you certainly could do some great, great hugel culture and raised bed stuff if you wanted to. You know, with, with soil amending, I also added I was a big, big fan, big, big fan of EB Stone organic fertilizers. It's probably the one I used more than anything. I added a pinch of that stuff and occasionally, depending on the soil conditions that I was dealing with, I would put in some uh, mycorrhiza fungal additives but it would depend on what the soil texture was at the time. If it was kind of worn out, yep. It got some organic fertilizers and maybe some mycorrhizae. And I am very, very confident that I would be a safe bet. I maintained a 95 to 98% success rate of all plants I ever put in the ground or in containers. And the plants were thriving as a result of this simple planting technique. It's no joke, it really isn't. Amending that soil and giving that transitional space for those plants. I mean, I was at the nursery yesterday and I was looking at gallon canned plants for like 20, almost $20 a piece. $20, four inch, four inch perennials for $12 a piece. And I was just gobsmacked, I really was. So wouldn't you want to take just a couple extra steps and kind of build that very expensive plant an insurance policy to thrive and grow and be okay? <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. So let's talk about the source for just a second. Now, with all that being said, what amendments are best for your landscape or garden? Well. Depends. Commercial mixes, those that are bagged, etc., that are made commercially, mixed and measured precisely, and moisturized and done just perfectly and shoved in a bag and then put on pallets and shipped to your nursery where you go and buy it. If you're dealing with smaller areas and smaller projects, I would lend myself to that. That's that's where I would go. But if you're dealing with a large scale project, a whole backyard or uh, a front and backyard or a rural property that you're trying to get underway. Those bag products will tend to bust a budget. So that will put a hurting on the wallet if you're doing large scale amounts of commercial mixes. So you can go to bulk materials and that's where a lot of my composts and other things that I used for planting came from. It came from bulk materials. My mulch came from bulk materials, as well as my composting that I used for planting and for amending for turf lawns, etc. Now, you can make up your own compost. 
That's pretty easy to do, which <laughs> YouTube only has about two bazillion episodes from various creators on the channels. And it's so easy to go look and it can be kind of fun, provided that you have some patience in your bones to do it. Some people, <laughs> some people do not. As some of the comments have come up this week, they are just everyone's instant gratification for some reason. You know, sum it up by saying anything relatively composted. And when I say that, it's been uh, heated up to a certain degree to kill off uh, detrimental pathogens and weed seeds that might be in the compost will work for you. Compost from uh, dump sites nowadays can work well. I have used them in the past from certain sites that I did business with because I went out and personally expected it. And if I was buying a six cubic yard dump trailer full of it, I wanted to see what it was. There were two in my county where I worked that I would actually buy it from. And oftentimes they didn't have very much because the rest of my competition knew it too. And it would get scooped up pretty fast. But the whole thing is rotation, heat, moisture levels, and other things were done and maintained properly by the people who are creating it. Not all compost is created equal. Believe me, you can get some crap. And I can remember buying one trailer full where I actually found, I actually found hypodermic needles in it. And that just appalled me. I took it back to the bulk soil yard and I dumped it right back in their thing. And then I took the two baggies and I said, this is what your organic compost is infected with. And they were astonished. They were, they were, they too were gobsmacked. But as a contractor, I would use those bulk composts to amend along with some organic fertilizers I talked about, mycorrhizae occasionally. The small job areas that I did, there would be times where I'd go out and buy a dozen bags, dozen bags of a professional mix because the job was not that big. But to remain competitive and keeping prices in line with my competition or slightly below, and not to be the most expensive dude out there to hire, bulk materials were more cost effective than the bags. So I kind of, I kind of stayed with it, but I never diverted away from it ever. It always got something, you know, and when you are ready on that planting day, whatever it is, we'll just say, you know, it's a Saturday morning. You bought your plants the week before you've had them in the backyard acclimating. You've kept them wet. Maybe you even gave them a little dose of food and Saturday is there now. You have your bags of compost or whatever it is, your bags of soil amendment or your pile that you've ordered and had delivered, whether it be just you alone or with a team of friends or family, or if you are a pro, maybe you got a couple of worker bees, it's an assembly line. It's literally a production line of planting day. Like I mentioned earlier, since I used to have to guarantee my plants a minimum of 45 days after the job was complete, provided people followed my instruction, and some did not, I was in charge of all my plantings in more ways than one. I would have somebody digging the holes, maybe a couple guys digging holes and taking the plant, setting it in the hole with the little pile of uh, excavated soil right next to it, not thrown all over the yard, a small, neat pile right next to the hole, nothing more and then they would move on to the next hole. I would come through with a wheelbarrow of my compost and the bags of the fertilizer 
and I would do the planting. Every single plant that ever went in the ground as a professional, I touched. Because if not, and it was done wrong, and I got lazy, and I was running all over Hell's Half Acre while my crew was planting, and something went wrong, and I lost 20 out of 100 plants, guess who was on the hook for it? You know, I <laughs> maybe it was a little bit of a control issue, as Maestro would attest to, but it was... I wanted these things to succeed, and I didn't want that phone to ring and say, hey, what you planted died, and I want it replaced. Hmm. It was not brain surgery, and the follow-up guy, the follow-up guy would be in charge of watering at my direction and cleaning up, raking up, and preparing for either the next phase of whatever was going to, maybe it was drip irrigation or whatever, but he would be the follow-up. So... It was not brain surgery, not in any way, shape, or form, but it was a professional way of approaching landscaping and planting day, which you can follow as well. You know, when you're dealing with those thousands of dollars in plant material, you just didn't take any chances. At least I didn't take any chances, period, ever. And in the years that I was a professional contractor, I only replaced one 15-gallon tree in my professional career. One. Now, does that mean anything died and people just didn't call me? I don't know, perhaps. But I would like to think, since I did like a 30-day check back, if something had died, I would have heard about it. And after that 30 days, no, I generally did not contact my customers unless they contacted me. Now, I am positive, I am positive based on social media issues that are out there, that there will be some criticism about my techniques my success rate, etc. I have found that trolls exist for everything and everyone. They just have no appreciation for the amount of time and effort that goes in to offering free advice for people. They want to uh, jump on the backs of the creators and beat them down. I don't know why I, I don't, but frankly, my skin is thickened quite a bit enough to handle them. But I can only share with you what worked for me what I did, and the why behind it. And the whole purpose of this channel is for your DIY landscape success. And if you're a budding professional out there, it's for you as well. It really is. Now, some people may think this is uh, rudimentary at its very core, and that's freaking okay, because the people I'm talking to are beginners. And chances are, they are not professional gardeners. They are not professional landscape people. And they're out there on Saturday morning because they just went and spent 300 bucks at the nursery and they want to put stuff in the ground. And maybe they're first-time homeowners. And they came from apartment life. And now they're having to learn how to take care of a yard and to beautify a yard. So I really don't give a crap too much about people uh, being critical. Go find another channel. Plain and simple. This is for the beginners. This is for the DIYers. Okay? Anyway. You can apply this soil amending thing to lawn installation as well. You know, I added the step of rototilling in order to uh, install new lawns. I would generally rototill four to six inches. And in that rototilling, there would be organic fertilizers and there would be compost and other stuff. And when we got done, we had a very nice sod bed that we would take and regrade out, firm up with water, even walk around and tamp it down with 
feet or machine, whatever it is, and then I'd let it set for a few days, watering it, letting it settle out, and then I would introduce. Was I a seed guy? No, I was not. I was not a seed guy. Most landscape professionals are not seed guys, except for those maybe up north or something where sod is not available. I was 100% a sod guy. And the reason being is once you rototill, you oftentimes expose deep dormant seeds back up to the surface. And what I've seen, it's, it's such a hypocrisy sometimes. So you rototill, you bring weed seeds up to the surface, you put seed down and you top dress it, start watering it, and as your grass comes up, your new weeds come up. Now for you perfectionists out there, for you environmentally sound people, maybe you go out there because you have nothing better to do in the evenings and the mornings and you start hand pulling all the weeds that are mixed in. Sometimes that can be really easy. Chances are it can be really hard. And so I hear how people turn around and they use broadleaf weed killers and they throw more herbicide on their brand new lawn. <laughs> and I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. So I use sod because it would smother that. Your, your sod layer there with the three quarters of an inch to me, sometimes even an inch of soil would sit on top of there. You would water your new sod lawn. It would create a, a barrier for a lot of new broadleaf weeds and whatnot to come up through there. Will it restrict weed grasses? It will for a little while. But for you people who don't want to treat Bermuda grass and other rhizomic type grasses and you want to take it out and put in a new sod lawn because you think it's going to look pretty, just stand by because other stuff will come up through that pretty freaking easy. It really will. Now, will all this amending add to your bottom line? Will it add to a bigger writing of a check, swiping of a card, doling out more greenbacks? Yes, it will. But like I said earlier, this is an insurance policy against failure. It really is. It's, it's far cheaper to do this than to go back and start repeat plant replacement over and over. You know, done right one time with a very high success rate introduced into this whole planting mix. You just cannot get any better than that. And it's simple. It's not super complicated. Lastly, lastly here, and then I'll let you guys go. Another piece of advice. I just give this stuff away. I really do. You know, decades in the making and I just throw it at you here. Plant selection is also a key component to success. Choose your plants wisely. There are times when growers force plants to be ready, not naturally, but literally force them through additional light, through additional food, additional heat, or additional colds. They do all of this, and you have to be aware of that. I usually, when I went and bought stuff for my customers, I had no problem taking that can, supporting that root ball, turning it upside down, and seeing what kind of root ball I had that I was going to be putting in the ground. There were times in mid to late spring when supplies were starting to run that wholesalers were kicking up uh, immature plants and selling them and wanting us as contractors and stuff to put them in the ground. And I can remember some really distinct selections 
was Sasanqua camellias when they were super popular. And man, I would take those and turn them upside down. And there was barely a root zone. And I would go to my broker and I'd say, what the WTF? What the heck is this? And he'd say, oh yeah, uh, yeah, there's not much stuff out there right now. So be aware, turn it upside down. Don't damage a, a nursery's plant material, but you can take a look. You should see some root development around the outside of that root ball. It will hold together correctly for you, whether it's a four inch, a gallon can, five gallon can, 15 gallon tree or bigger, it should be ready to go in the ground, not ready to sit at a wholesaler's for another month. So be aware of that. Underdeveloped root systems can cause the plant to look okay, but will fall apart and tend to be very shock prone when planting day comes along. If you have a mature plant ready to go in the ground, you can turn that thing up, loosen the, the roots on the outside of the root ball gently, and then plant. Plant keeping the bulk of that root ball intact. And then your 50-50 mix with a little bit of fertilizer, firm it down in there, give it a water basin and a good drink. Bam, bam, son, that is how you have landscape success. Plant material on the shelves for a long period of time tend to weaken the plant. You know, you water it, 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 water it, water it, and it's been on the shelf for three months at a nursery and it's not being cared for correctly by the staff. Nurseries want to turn plant material quickly, regularly, and really do not want to carry over stock late into the season. If they bought something in April, they want it gone in May. If they bought something in April, it better damn well not be on their shelves come August. And if it is, those are just dollars they're going to have to be paying taxes on. And chances are they're going to have to discount and probably not make a dang dollar off it, if not a loss, because they've had people watering it, the water it costs to, to water it, etc. Newer plants look best when they first arrive. I don't care if they arrive at mom and pop's nursery. I don't care if they arrived at a box store nursery or a Walmart or a grocery store. Chances are they still came from a professional wholesale grower at the time. And when they hit that retail shelf, it's still supposedly a nice, healthy plant. It's what you do with it when you get home. And now you know how and what to do with it. Anyway, so to sum it up, why do we amend? It is an insurance policy against failure and offers your recent landscape investment dollars to do the best possible chance for success, which will reflect positively on you, both inside in confidence and pride and outside when the plant's beauty pays you back in flower, fruit, veggie, lush turf, or whatever you work so hard on to accomplish. Hey guys, that's what I have for you this week. Hope you got a little something out of it. Hey, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel in a little while. I would appreciate a subscription if you don't mind. And if you have any questions, you can always email me at youryardcoach at gmail.com. Don't forget to take a look over there at the, at the website, youryardcoach.com, for the book, the course, the checklist, and my freebie. And the Amazon store is always available to you. Thanks for sticking with me. I really do appreciate it. Hope you got something. I'll catch you guys next week as always. You guys take care. And as always, to your landscape success.
Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show and we'll see you right here next week.